0: You are listening to a message by Travis Scott from our gatherings at Shorebreak. Visit ShorebreakChurch.com to get connected with more content. And if you would like to support the gospel being preached in Kona and to thousands online, your tax-deductible donation enables us to further Jesus' mission. Partner with us by giving at ShorebreakChurch.com backslash give. Mahalo. Shorebreak, good morning. Man, three of you, right on. Shorebreak, good Good morning. You know, it's so good, uh, Travis is right, we have been praying for you, and it was just a, a year ago when you guys had started here as a young fledgling church, and, and I'm so excited to see what God has been doing, and I, I can attest to what, what uh, your pastor, Travis, is saying, I mean, he is here to stay, you're stuck with him, and, uh, and that's such great news, I know that God wants to do a great work in and through him and through the leadership here at this church, and we can see it. God is on the move. Amen, Shore break. Amen. Hey, let's, amen. Hey, yeah, round of applause for the Lord. God is so good. Hey, why don't we stand this morning for the reading of the word? I always like to do that. I'll read the word to you, this passage of scripture that we're going to go through this morning, then we'll get into our study. You know, I've entitled the message, Light and Hope. It's a part of a series that I've been doing through the book of Ephesians. And in verse 15 of Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says, Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. And here's our verse for today. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. Let's bow our hearts this morning and let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word this morning. Lord, I thank you for what you're going to do in and through your word as you speak into our lives. Some of us here this morning need to hear this very specific thing. We need this prayed over us. We need to pray it ourselves. Lord, flood our hearts with your light. Lord, some of us, just because of life, our hearts have been darkened and and we're kind of groping around. And even though we, we know you, even though we are yours, Lord, it's like a cataract has come over our eyes it's like this darkness and we need once again lord to be in light and we need once again for our our hearts to be flooded with light lord some of us we just need to be flooded with light because we don't know you this morning and lord we need for you to shine your light into the darkness that we might be saved and so, Lord, we ask that you would do a great work, and, and not only for shore break here this morning. There are many churches throughout Kona. There are many churches that are meeting throughout this big island. We pray for them as they're opening up your word, that you would inspire, that there will be a great harvest on the big island and throughout the islands of Hawaii. Lord, we praise you, and we thank you, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Let's be seated. You know, darkness it's a very funny thing. How many of you are afraid of the dark or were at one time afraid of the dark? I should put it that way. Yeah, we, we, we all have. You know, I grew up, and I remember growing up with those kind of fears, being afraid of the dark. and telling my parents, hey, don't, leave the door just a little bit open before you close that bedroom. Or, or you know, I, I always I thought there was monsters in the closet, right? And so I always locked that closet door, made sure that it was closed. My kids, I have six of them. All of them are boys except for five of them. And... Um, <laughs> And, you know, we, we uh, pray for me. No, anyway, um, you know, I, they grew up with those kind of fears. Dad, make, you know, we'd see our, you know, bedtime stories and all that, and we prayed with them, and, hey, Dad, make sure, and, and, and leave that door just a little bit open. Close that closet door, Dad. And, of course, I didn't help them out with their fears, you know. At one time, you know, we had a three-bedroom house, and, and you know, four of them would share a bedroom together, and we'd tell our bedtime stories, give them hugs, and, and one night I decided I'm going to play a little trick on them, and. And I walk out the door, and as I'm walking out the door, I, Dad, you know, turn, don't, you know, when you turn out the light, you know, make sure the night light's on. And, but I didn't do that, and I walk out. I turn off the light. As I'm closing the door, I didn't walk out. I kind of like ducked down and, and snuck back into the middle of the bedroom, right? And I'm there laying in the middle of the bedroom just kind of like this, and, and they're all, you know, talking. They're not asleep yet. They didn't go right to bed. And so they're talking, and I'm like, mmm. and they're like, what's that, what's that, what's that? One of them, no, it's nothing. It's nothing. And then I go, and it's like, I heard it too. What is that? And all of a sudden, I'm like, and like it, it just freaked them out, man. It scared the living daylights out of them. They didn't go to bed for years after that, man. My son, he tells me, man, I can't wait to have kids to play that same trick on them. Or like the thief that he broke into a house one day and and as he's taking things, he hears a voice out of the darkness that said, "Jesus is watching you." Well, he almost choked, man. But as soon as he got over his fear, he he looked around and and he thought, you know, I'm kept on stealing. It's nothing. And then suddenly the voice came again, Jesus is watching you. And, and by now he started really trembling. He, he was on his way out that house when he sees a birdcage in the corner with a cover on it. And the voice was coming out of the birdcage, Jesus is watching you. He goes over there, takes off the cover and sees that it's a parrot. He's angry and he says, you know, what's your name, parrot? And the parrot says, Moses. And he goes, what kind of a weird person names this parrot Moses? The same kind of weird person, the name says Rottweiler Jesus, that's who. (laughs) Oh man, I tell you, darkness. Isn't it a funny thing how how the very same shadows that can instill fear in a person in the darkness, as soon as you you turn on the light, those shadows disappear and that fear is dispelled. You know, it's not uncommon for people to be afraid of the dark. You know, light and darkness are, are universal symbols for good and evil. In Scripture, light is understood as coming from God. In the beginning, there was darkness, and God spoke light into His creation. God Himself is light, and He's portrayed, and His glory is portrayed to be light. He is the light of the world who enlightens our heart and our souls, and He dispels all of the darkness. Now, in this portion of Scripture that we're in this morning, Paul He's been praying this very powerful prayer for the church there at Ephesus. Now, he had heard that they had a strong faith and a great love for God's people everywhere. And what a great thing to be known for. Amen, break. That would be a great thing to be known for because this is the kind of strong faith that, that is all in for Christ. It's a kind of faith that that throws in all of its chips, right? It's a kind of faith that, that bets your whole life on it. And that's a good thing because your whole life depends on that. In fact, your eternity depends on it. And we're talking about the kind of faith. The kind of faith is that faith that simply says, you know what, God, I trust in you. It's you simply saying, God, I trust you no matter what. No matter what the circumstance around me. No matter what the situation. And God is worthy of that kind of trust. Can someone just shout amen to that? Amen. God is worthy of that because he will never fail you, nor will he forsake you. And I tell you what, the kind of love that that church had, man, it was the kind of love that they had for God's people everywhere, we're told. It's a strong agape love. And, and the kind, that kind of love is a tangible love. It's a kind of love that that hurts when a brother hurts. It's a kind of love that rejoices when another sister rejoices. And that's a kind of love. And get this, as I've been praying for you guys as a church, we pray for you. That's the kind of love that I hear is coming out of shore break. And that's so good because you know what? That kind of love makes makes people on the outside jealous. And it's a good kind of jealousy. It's like people are like, what's going on in there? What's happening there in that theater? What's going on with that church at Shorebreak? I want to look in, and as they see and they look in, they're like, oh, man, I want a piece of that. I want some of that. And that's a good thing because you don't want people to look in here and say, oh, oh, man, I don't want any of that. You want people to say, man, I want a piece of that. And that's the kind of love that you guys have, a love for one another and a love for your community. Keep on doing that. Amen? Yeah. You know, the church here at Ephesus, much like us, they weren't perfect in those things. They, they had plenty of room to grow. But, but I love the way that the Apostle Paul dealt with them. He dealt with them graciously. He saw the area that they were growing in, and, and he saw that God's grace working in them, and he encouraged them. But because he loved them, he didn't just commend them, encourage them, and then move on. No, he continued to pray for them. And here's a great thing. As he prays, he says, he prays that they would have spiritual wisdom and insight, but it was for a very particular reason. He said, so that you would know, those they would know God better. and And That word, to know, is a Greek word, very special Greek word. It's a word, epinosis. And it means more than just a knowledge about God. There's one thing to know about God, but there's one thing to really know God. And that word, epinosis, in the Greek, means to know God experientially. It means to participate. It's this participatory, roll-up-your-sleeves, get-to-know-a-person type of a knowledge. It speaks of an all-out pursuit, running hard after God knowledge. And it's the right thing to do. You know why it's the right thing to do? Because God has pursued hard after you. God has done everything. In fact, he does everything just to get to know you and so that you would get to know him. And any relationship demands it. I mean, a relationship with your wife. A relationship with a friend, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, a relationship with with anyone demands this mutual participation, right? And so a relationship with God demands a mutual participation. And then here in our 18th verse where we're going to spend most of our time this morning, he prays. And the prayer kind of at first, it seems redundant if you're reading through it. He uses the verb enlighten. And I'll read it from the New King James. It'll be up on the screen. He says that the eyes of your heart being enlightened. And then out of the New Living Translation, in fact, let's read this verse together. Ready? On three. One, two, three. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light. So he's praying for this enlightenment. But you have to think and ask, isn't that the same as praying for spiritual wisdom and insight? And isn't knowing God in this experiential way that we've been talking about enlightenment enough? Well, the answer to that question is, is is no. This prayer isn't redundant. And I love that the Apostle Paul is praying for this. You see, we need to pray for this. We need to pray for God to flood our hearts with light. And the reason for that is because sometimes our hearts get darkened, don't they, from time to time. And whether it's from our sins or Whether it's from our failures, and and we all have a tendency to fail from time to time. Or whether it's just life hitting a square in the nose. Have you ever been like like punched in the nose and you're like tearing up and everything? Or just been hit in the nose? Sometimes life just does that, right? And sometimes, and so our hearts get darkened. You know, our hearts, at one time, were initially darkened because of the fall. Man was created to dwell in God's presence in his light. But because of sin and the resultant sin nature, it, it brought darkness and it darkened our understanding. I want you to look at this. Look at how Scripture describes humanity apart from Christ. Paul, in Ephesians 4, writes, here's, a, here's humanity apart from Christ. He says, their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. Paul, in in writing to the Romans, there in Romans 1, in the 21st verse, he he describes everything that's going on with all humanity apart from Christ, and he says, their minds became dark and confused. You see, sin brought darkness and and darkened hearts and and understanding to humanity, but here's the great news, in steps Jesus, right? Right? And He rescues us. He brings light. He rescues us from darkness and from its power and from its penalty. In fact, let's read what Jesus said in John 12 out loud in the 46th verse. Ready on three, one, two, three. I have come as a light to shine in this dark world, so that all who put their trust in Me will no longer remain in the dark. So someone shout hallelujah or something. I mean, I tell you, isn't that great news? He saved us. And he's rescued us from darkness. You know, the Apostle Paul, as he's given his testimony for the third time, he tells of his call that he had from Jesus Christ himself. In the book of Acts, in the 26th chapter, he says this. This is is the words from Jesus to Paul. He said, I'm sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me. <laughs> you know what? Just like Paul, and that really is a call not only for, for Paul, but for all of us here. We want to tell people about Jesus Christ. Amen? I mean, I, I tell you, what, the, the, the little motto you guys have, your, your vision, amplify Jesus. I love that. We want to amplify Jesus more than ever before. We want to see people get saved out of darkness. Amen, church? And so that's the heart. And, and more than ever, we've been saved out of darkness. And so we should, call, we should give Jesus, amplify Jesus to people out there. You know, there's a very real battle that's happening. And we need to be aware of it, that there's a battle between light and darkness. We can't be naive to it because souls are at stake. You know, Paul. In 2 Corinthians, he would say this He said, Of the good news that we preach is hidden behind a veil. It is hidden only from people who are perishing. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They're unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. You see, We don't go around preaching ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. See, what happened when you and I were born again, when we became believers, God enlightened our hearts and our souls to see the truth of the gospel. The light went on in our hearts. Have you ever had that happen when, when you know, you're, you're walking around in the darkness and, and suddenly the light goes on? You know, I remember years ago we were... Back like we first got married, we rented this apartment, and and I remember walking out, and I used to love to go and and do these uh, little midnight snacks, you know? Um, I kind of like eating at midnight. I don't know where it is, but sometimes I do. And so I I go out there, and and I didn't turn on the light because I didn't need to turn on the light. I knew exactly where the refrigerator was. I memorized where where it was. And so I'm walking out, and and as I'm walking out into the kitchen, suddenly I feel this, this crunching on the floor, right? And I'm going, what is this? And it's like gushing through my toes and everything. And, and so then I, I flip on the lights, and it's like cockroaches all <laughs> over the place. It was, it was amazing. Anyway, um, <laughs> but what happened was that the lights went on, and, and I saw everything that was going on. I'm like, oh, from, from then on, I always turn on the lights. You, you see, what, what happened, when Christ came into it, he shined the light into your heart and soul. I mean, th- there was incredible darkness there. There's cockroaches all over the place. And suddenly the light went on and you're like, oh, man, I can see. And isn't that exciting when suddenly you can see and, and at that point you put your faith in Jesus Christ and he rescues you from the power of darkness. Isn't that great news? And you know what? Here's how Paul, what Paul says. And let's read this out loud. Colossians 1.13. Ready on three. One, two, three. For he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear Son. Isn't that great? That's what's happened in your life, you, the believer, you who's come to Christ. But although light and darkness were at play before we knew the Lord. We, we can't be naive as to think that they're not at play throughout our lives as believers. You know, being a follower of Jesus and that's what you are. You're a follower of Jesus. You're a disciple of Jesus Christ. That, may, that means that you were meant to walk in and experience light. In fact, Jesus said, and let's read this verse out loud. This is a good one. John 8 verse 12 on three, one, two, three. I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Isn't that great? And so We're meant to walk in light, and we don't have to walk in the darkness. But nevertheless, you and I, we're being honest. You and I, we have this penchant for sin, don't we? We have a penchant for darkness, and and unfortunately, we're still going to have this sin nature. As long as we're in this side of eternity, we're going to have to live with it and deal with it on until we get to eternity. And so, what do we do? We dabble with sin from time to time. We dabble with darkness, don't we? And, and even though we've been rescued from sin and darkness, and we've been rescued from the power of sin's ultimate penalty, you know, when we dabble with sin, and when we dabble with darkness, we experience its effect. And, and there's going to be somewhat of a darkening in our hearts that takes place. And, and this is why Paul prayed this prayer. He says, Lord, flood their hearts with light. And we need this prayer. As believers, as people that have been rescued from darkness, you and I, guess what? We're a brand new creation. Isn't that great news? We are brand new. You are a new you. And along with that comes a new way of being. Look what Paul says in Ephesians 5. And let's read this to, to get this together out loud, to get it into our hearts. On three, one, two, three. For once you were full of darkness... But now you have light from the Lord. So live as a people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Let's read out loud one more time. I really want you to get this. Ready on three. One, two, three. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true people of light that's your new identity you're not a people of darkness anymore you're a people of light that's the new you why don't you tell your neighbor hey people of light how you doing this morning and because you're a people of light you're to live as people of light right it's a whole different way than, than than the former way that you used to live. Now, I'm going to give you a little lesson, just as a small one, on some basic theology here. This is what's known as the gospel indicative imperative. An indicative being a statement of fact, and an imperative being a direct command. Now, here's a statement of fact: You were once full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. That's a fact. A direct command. And so live as a people of light. But here's a wonderful thing. This is what I love about the gospel. This is what I love about Jesus Christ. That along with that command comes this wonderful, enabling grace. God just doesn't give you a command and then leave you alone and say, you better do it. You better do it on your own strength. Just just buck up, buddy. He says, no, I'm going to enable you to do it. And so he says, for this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Isn't that awesome? This is what God does. What God has done in you, in Christ, he's producing good things in you right now. I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, man, I don't know. It's not always good, Pastor. I mean, sometimes it's really, really rough. Right? Can you guys attest to that? Raise your hands if you're having a rough time. No, no, just kidding. No, no, go ahead. You know, we all do. We all do, right? We have a rough time sometimes, but I want to encourage you with something. God is working in you to produce good things right now. Look what Paul says in Philippians 2. He says, God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. Isn't that great news? And all of us who are in Christ, that's our desire, isn't it? We want to live for Jesus. That's the heart that we have. But now, if if God's light, if his truth and, and presence within you produces what is good and right and true, then it's also understood that the darkness can produce what is bad and wrong and false. And that darkness can, and it does, influence us. Look what Paul says in First Corinthians fifteen. He says, Don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Think carefully about what is right and stop sinning. Some of you are thinking, oh, man, mom used to tell me that. I didn't know that was in Scripture. It is. Bad company corrupts good morals. Think carefully about what is right and stop sinning. There it is, right in the Bible. You know, some of us are walking around naive, and and we're thinking that the things that we dabble in, the things that we do won't affect us, right? Right? It's like, no, that's not going to bother me. That won't hurt me. But, you know, the truth is, is that they will. It will bother you. It will hurt you. It will influence you. Amen, church? Someone, There's more than one of you got to agree with that. Amen, church? Yes. We got to understand that. But also sometimes, and this is the reality of it, sometimes it, it's just life that can darken understanding, right? Some of you are going through incredible trial, through, through, through nothing of your own doing. Sometimes just life hits you square in the nose. And you're going through some trial, maybe, maybe a loss, maybe uh, a job loss, maybe you know a breakup of some kind, maybe a divorce, maybe a death. Something is going on that's really difficult in your life right now, and, and man, you're, you're discouraged, you're in pain. This is just life hitting you hard. You know, Paul, the apostle, at one time he was discouraged, and, and the Lord appeared to him in a night vision. And, and he needed, at this point, while he was in the city of Corinth, he needed for Jesus to flood his heart with light. In the book of Acts, we're told that the Lord appeared to him there in night vision. In Acts 18, the Bible says that Jesus said to Paul, Don't be afraid. Speak out. Don't be silent, for I am with you and no one will attack and harm you for many people in this city belong to me. Don't be afraid, Paul. And why would Jesus tell Paul don't be afraid except for that he was afraid? You know that's what I love about the Bible. God never hides his heroes' weaknesses or their failures. I love the honesty of scripture. Even the apostle, the great apostle Paul, was discouraged at one time and he wanted out. He needed for Jesus to flood his heart with light. And sometimes life and and trials and and discouragement, you get to the very best of us. And so we all need that prayer, Lord, flood our hearts with light. And you know the fact that, that Paul is praying for their hearts to be enlightened, it teaches us two things. Number one, that enlightenment is a matter of divine intervention we need to be rescued from darkness right and 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 we need it's not a matter of of grit and ingenuity it's not a matter of you just bucking up sometimes and just trying to get through it we need to be rescued it's a matter of this grace and intervention from God and number two enlightenment is a matter of continuance we need to continually be rescued from darkness and to continually walk in obedience Yes, you've been, you've been rescued from the power and penalty of darkness, but unfortunately, you and I, we still dabble in it from time to time. And this darkness, the realm of Satan and evil is portrayed in Scripture as possessing real, and, and not figurative, but real power. And this power sometimes, well, it does. It attempts to exert influence over us, even though we're a people of light. And when temptation comes, man, it's a very real thing. And oftentimes we fail and, and we fall. And when we do, it's not only the guilt and the shame that's incurred, but we actually let in some of that darkness. And many times it's that darkness that obscures the truth of the gospel and what we have in Jesus Christ. And again, this is why Paul prays this in verse 18. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so you can understand the confident hope he's given to those he called you know, my father, he re- he's, he's an older guy now, he's 70 years old, and he had this cataract surgery, and cataract surgery is just this little film that, or cataracts are this little film that, that grows over your eyes when, when you get older, it kind of dims out the eyes, and, and you know, the eye is still there, it's still intact, it's still a good eye, the, the lens is still there, it's just as this little cloud has grown over it, and it needs surgical intervention, It needs for the doctor to come in and take that little film out so that they could see clearly again. And once it's out, once a surgical intervention has taken place, man, it's like, oh, I can see again. Man, look at everything that's out there. Some of us this morning need spiritual cataract surgery, right? The eyes of our heart need to be enlightened. Our hearts need to be flooded with light. You know, there's a story in the Old Testament about the prophet Elijah and his servant, and they were there There was enemies that were all after them, and they wanted to kill them. And, and one morning, a, the servant wakes up in the, in the city that they were in, and he finds that the city is surrounded by a great army of chariots and horses. The enemy was upon them. In fact, they were all around them everywhere. And so the servant runs to Elisha and says, what are we going to do? And I love what Elisha said. In Second Kings six, he said, Don't be afraid, for there are more on our side than on theirs. And then Elijah prayed, O Lord, open his eyes and let him see. And the Lord opened the young man's eyes. And when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elijah was filled with horses and chariots of fire. Amen. Isn't that great? I tell you, some of us need that very prayer. We are living because whether it's life, whether it's just our own sin and failure, whether we're bringing it upon ourselves, we need this prayer desperately. We're walking around and groping around in darkness, stepping on cockroaches all over the place. And we need this prayer. Lord, flood my heart with light so that, note this, here's why. So that you can understand the confident hope he's given to those he called. See, sometimes we lose our way, don't we? Sometimes because of darkness, we begin to lose hope. And again, whether it's our own sin or our own failure or life just hits us hard, we can lose hope from time to time. You know, when the Bible talks about hope, it's not how how we use the word hope. You know, the time that Paul was writing this up, The Greeks thought of hope very much in the same way that that we oftentimes think of hope. Hope to them was this. It's a consoling dream of the imagination. Designed to forget the present troubles, but yet leaving one with many uncertainties. You know, that's very much how many in the world today think of hope. Like, I hope this will happen. I'm not sure I I, I think it might happen. It's just this sort of limp optimism type of a thing. And yet humanity, it thrives on this kind of hope. It's sort of like built into us. You know, in times of trouble, we hope. It's only when, when we have no hope and we feel utterly lost that that's when we despair. And that's when we say things like all hope is lost. And people give up and they perish without hope. And so humanity needs hope. God's made it that way. But here's the thing. Real hope needs to have substance. Amen. Real hope needs to have backing. Biblical hope is not a maybe. Biblical hope is a for sure. Biblical hope is certain hope because biblical hope hopes in God. And the reason that Paul is praying this prayer is because he knows the proclivity that we all have to place our hope in lesser things. That's what we do. When our understanding is darkened. When we're groping around, sometimes we don't put our hope in God alone. Sometimes we hope put our hope in lesser things. And to put our eyes and our, our trust on lesser things when our hearts are darkened, you know what? We do things like putting it in our own ingenuity, our own strength, and our own cunning, our own smarts. And when we do that, guess what? We are setting ourselves up for failure, <laughs> Because when we hope in lesser things, when those things fail, and they will. When we hope in our own ingenuity, in our own resources, when they exhaust, and they will. When we put our hope and trust in people around us, they will fail because they're only human. Guess what we'll do? We will despair. And so Paul prays, I want them to understand. The confident hope that God has given to those he called. In Shore break, guess what? You have a confident hope. You have a sure hope. Can someone shout amen to that? Amen. And your confident hope, this is it. It's a biblical hope. Biblical hope is a confident, joyful trusting in and waiting for God to work out His plan for our good and for His glory. You see, it's expectation with a sense of confidence. It's confidence in the face of adversity and ambiguity because. We have a Savior who is strong and true. All of our hope is in Christ. Amen, break. In fact, let's say that together out loud. All of our hope is in Christ. Let's say that out loud. Ready on three. All of our hope is in Christ. It's in and through Christ that we're saved from hopelessness and lesser hopes. And all of our hope is in Him. So important. You see, our hope is confident because it's it's based on God's eternal plan and Christ's finished work. And here's the thing also. Our hope is confident because God has never failed. Man, we can look at the past record, and that's our future assurance. You know, I, I preached this message at our church about a month ago or so, and, and after church, someone came up to me, and, and they said, you know, thank you for that because I, I I lost. They lost a, a little child, a, a little granddaughter, and and they were they had lost their hope, and they thought God, you failed me. But I want to say something: we live in a fallen world, and sometimes things hit us hard. And I want you to know that God will never fail you nor forsake you. And when we don't understand those things that are going on around us, we fall back on what we do know. And here's what we know, Church: we know that Jesus loves us amen and so sometimes those things happen but we can have confidence even in the face of all of it and it's not this 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 false hope that is designed to make us forget our troubles no christian hope a hope in god helps us to face those troubles head on with confidence and here's the thing as paul praises that we might understand the hope of our calling That's speaking about the surety of your salvation. I love this. We have a confident hope in the work of the cross and our pardon from sin. Look at this, Jude in the 24th verse. Let's read this out loud together as a church. Ready on three, one, two, three. Now all glory to God who is able to keep you from falling away and will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. Someone say, oh, man. I I tell you what. Some of you are going, Pastor, you should have spent Friday and Saturday with me. I I have fallen time and time again. How How is it possible that he could bring me without a single fault? This is the work of the gospel. This is the work of Jesus Christ in your life. He'll never He'll never give up on you. And that's his promise to each and every one of us. No matter where you're at, you're a work in progress. Isn't that great news? And I love Philippians 1.6. We have this confident hope that he will never give up on us. Look at Philippians 1.6. Many of you know it. He says, And I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. He's began this work, and he'll never give up up on you. He will continue it. A good work. Isn't that great? God calls you a good work. Some of you are thinking, man, I feel like a piece of work. No, you're not a piece of work. You are a good work. In fact, tell your neighbor, you're not a piece of work. You're a good work. Tell them. Isn't that great to know? And look at this, Matthew 28. The 20th verse. Let's read this out loud together. On three, one, two, three. And be sure of this I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Some of you need to hear that right now. Let it touch deep in your heart and soul. Jesus is with you right now. We have a confident hope, one of my favorite verses here in the entirety of the Bible, that our end will be with Christ. We will be with Him. Those who have come to the Lord. Look at this. First Thessalonians, and I think there might have been a... It's actually 4.13. Great. Eric corrected that for me. Awesome. I wrote one thirteen, but it's 4.13. And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen for the believers who have died, so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again... We also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with Him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet Him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with a voice of the archangel, and with a trumpet call of God. First the Christians who have died will rise from the graves. And then look at this. Then together with them, we we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And look at this. Then we will be with the Lord forever. And so encourage each other with these words. Someone shout amen. I'll tell you what, that is our confident hope. We will be with Christ. and You know what? We have a confident hope also. That Christ will be right every wrong. Have you guys been checking out the news lately? It's a mess out there. We see things in the Middle East, and and we we see these horrible things happening with Syria. And and sometimes our own leaders and and our own courts make these these decisions that, that trouble us. But you know, as believers, here's what we know. That God one day will right every wrong. And look what it says in Matthew 16. For the Son of Man will come with his angels in the glory of his Father and will judge all people according to their deeds. You can have confidence that God will one day right every wrong. And if you're troubled right now, look at this in Revelation 21. Jesus, this is what Jesus will do. He will wipe away, excuse me, wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying, or pain, all these things are gone forever. I love that. I love the way that John describes heaven. He says, you know what death is like, right? You know what sorrow is like, right? You know what crying is like, right? You know what pain is like, right? He says, heaven, it's nothing like that. And that's just awesome news. And we have this confident hope. You know, I tell you what, when you see all of this, When we look at this, doesn't it make you want all the more to live all out for Jesus Christ? Amen. We hope that Jesus is doing a work in your life from the message that you just heard. We would love to hear how you were impacted and what was impressed on your heart. Share your story by emailing connect at shorebreakchurch.com. And if you don't know Jesus as God, Lord and Savior, or you have more questions, send us an email to info at shorebreakchurch.com so we can get you dialed in with a free Bible and resources for your new relationship with Jesus.